0: Monday, December 20th. Welcome to Mark Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. With me, as he is pretty much every Monday, it's Jason Moser. Good to see you.
1: (laughs) Good to see you.
0: Um, We're going to talk about Spider-Man because the numbers are ridiculous. The box office numbers are ridiculous, but we have to start with the deal of the day, which is Cerner, the medical records tech company, Cerner's being acquired by Oracle. This is a 28 billion dollar deal all cash. I never thought of Oracle as being a healthcare tech company, but I guess we kind of have to now, don't we? <laughs>
1: yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it it, it antitrust, I guess regulators will, will give it a look, I'm sure. Um, I mean, it's not a small deal by any means, but in the context of what Oracle does, I, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why this deal wouldn't go through. It does seem like um, I, I, I understand it's a very large market opportunity in in Cerner, and and it's a company geared toward where the market really needs to go and widespread electronic healthcare record adoption. And and that's that's what Cerner is, of course, known for. I and mean, they they automate and digitize medical records. I mean, this can help with. Um, avoiding unnecessary tests and medications. I mean, it can help clinicians av- avoid errors. It can suggest treatments. I mean, it really can help maximize efficiency in the healthcare space and at, at around a $25 billion market cap or so. I mean, clearly the business has, has done something right to this point. Um, the deal seems fairly reasonable. I mean, it, it's not, you know, with Cerner, you're not looking at one of these companies that. that doesn't have a PE because it doesn't have any e I mean they actually make money and they generate cash and a good bit of it which is encouraging um, very attractive margin picture 80% gross margins with this business um, and they can realize a lot of a lot of cost savings down to the bottom line and so I think with Oracle this is a nice way to diversify the business a little bit into a very reliable uh, market opportunity with with plenty of tailwinds I think
0: if you're a Cerner shareholder, are you happy that this deal is happening? Because uh, for decades, this is Cerner as a stock is a long-term winner. But it it seems to have not really flattened out. But over the last five years or so, uh, its growth as a business has been more modest. Um, but it's not to say that you know. Look, you and I have talked about plenty of acquisitions where, if you're the Shareholder of the company being acquired, you're popping champagne because the road ahead was looking brutal as a standalone company. That doesn't seem to be the case with Cerner, but I get that the growth has sort of tapered out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you really keyed in on for investors at least the biggest issue with Cerner today. It is, it growth is definitely slowing down. I mean it, it's it's not a it's not a business that I think. Um, I mean, It's not the only one that does what it does, and 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 certainly healthcare can be very challenging just from a regulatory perspective, um, not only from a nation national perspective, but also when you consider all of the states. I mean, healthcare is just a very convoluted uh, market filled with a lot of red tape and challenges there. And so, I mean, I think as as a shareholder for Cerner, I mean, I'm I'm not, I've never have been. This probably. I mean, you, you probably kind of think, "Eh, all right, maybe this is the best case scenario." I mean, you're right; it's 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 been a winning investment. Um, if you look back over the last five years, the stock is up 86. Uh, it's it's the market is outpacing it though, and if you look at the last three years, more of the same. And even if you look at 10 years, I mean, it, it's been outperformed by the market rather handily, and so. It, it's been an okay investment. It's not the greatest one in the world, of course. I think that with Oracle, you know, it, it, you heard uh, Larry Ellison there uh, just just the other day talking about with all of Amazon Web Services' recent outages and issues. There, and, and Ellison, of course, took took he took the opportunity to get up there and tout Oracle's cloud for a little bit. And say, you know what? We've got a major telecommunications customer who says to us, "We love Oracle's cloud because it never goes down." So of course you're waiting for the inevitable headline that Oracle's cloud service goes down at some point. Um, but but regardless, I, th- I mean Oracle I think is a it's it's a good business with a very uh, large standing in in the cloud market today. I think this is something where you're plugging a valuable service into a big network with a lot of a lot of expertise. In uh, a lot of history at, at its back, and so for for Cerner shareholders, yeah, this probably is the best case. Maybe it it prompts you to take that cash because it's important to remember this is an all cash deal. Maybe it prompts you to just take that cash and and try to go find another great investment idea.
0: Last thing before we move on, um, Larry Ellison fueled the growth of Oracle through acquisitions. Yeah, and some of them, you know, we've we've talked about some of these over the year: Netsuite, Sun Microsystems, PeopleSoft. Those were big acquisitions. Those were all a third to a quarter of the size of this one. This is overwhelmingly the biggest deal (laughs) Oracle has ever made. Um, Does that? Larry Ellison has always struck me as one of those people who uh, projects an imperviousness to pressure, but um, again. This is the biggest deal they've ever made, and it's not even close. And I'm wondering if they really need this one to work out.
1: I well, of course you want you always want these types of deals to work out, and the bigger the the deal, the the closer a look we're going to take at it. I I think I feel like they're in a pretty good place, though, with this. Deal number one because of what what the company because of what the business does uh, in Cerner. But I also think so. So Cerner has a you know we often talk about businesses and, and what their customer base looks like and did they have any uh, heavy exposure to one customer in particular? It, it's just it's worth noting with Cerner. I mean, close to twenty percent of their revenue in 2020 uh, came to came from U.S. government agencies. So they are they do have a very large standing with the United States government. That can be good, and that can be bad. It can be good in that the longer you maintain that relationship, the stickier it gets. It it can be bad in that you're typically going to be taking a little bit on the cost side there. Um, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not able to flex the pricing power muscle quite as much. But there's a reliability that comes from it. And so I think from that perspective alone, again, I think given what Cerner does, I really like. I really like the uh, the potential there. And then and then the government the government uh, customer standing there. Uh, I mean let's let's take that as a plus. I mean, that's a pretty big customer right there and, and, and they seem to be doing something right because they've maintained that relationship for a while.
0: Spider-Man No Way Home took in 600 million dollars at the box office worldwide over the weekend. This is the biggest domestic opening in December ever. It is the second biggest domestic opening ever and the third biggest worldwide. And if Omicron wasn't happening I think we would collectively say, movie theaters are back, baby, but Omicron is happening, and I'm, I don't, I, I'm not sure what conclusion to draw from this. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there are a couple of sort of smaller ones, but in terms of like a major headline, um, I, I guess I take comfort in the fact that I'm not the only one who's surprised at how big the box office was for the opening weekend for this movie.
1: Yeah, I I got to say I was not really all that surprised. Um, first and foremost, god, it's got to suck to be Nightmare Alley. I mean, I don't know if you saw that, <laughs> but man, holy cow. Like I mean for for a movie that it got a decent amount of press uh, here as as it was getting released and with a Fairly healthy lineup of stars uh, making making up the cast there, and, and I mean it, it, it did next to nothing. And then I saw where theaters were basically saying All right, we're going to go ahead and cancel these midnight alley shows or nightmare alley shows and, and uh, throw in a couple of extra Spider-Man shows. Um, I think that this says a few things. Number one, we are not in the same place we were a year ago. There is a lot of a lot of fear out there in the headlines today. And I think they could do everybody a favor and try to pull that back a little bit. But 2021, despite its challenges, we are in a much different place today than we were a year ago, right? We have tools to deal with COVID and its variants, and and so that's one thing right there. I, I think that because of those tools, I think that folks are assessing risk a little bit differently today. I know I certainly do, and I think a lot of people do. I mean, we're seeing. Uh, for all of these companies that continue to postpone going back to work, there are 10 more companies that are out there doing business today. Uh, all it takes is going around and you can see. I mean the, the, the country is still open, businesses are still open. people are still out there uh, getting stuff done. And I think a lot of that is just because we, we have a, an arsenal of tools today that we didn't have a year ago, and that's that's causing people to assess uh, the risk scenario a little bit differently today. Which I think resulted in you know, a lot of people going out to the theaters because they saw uh, uh, there was a movie that they really wanted to see. Right. And so the other lesson really goes to show you the value in that IP. Uh, we talk about it often with Disney and Marvel and all of these franchises that have this. this this IP that lives very long lives and it allows them to branch out and tell other stories with different characters, and it can really go on for long periods of time. Um, so, I, I listen, I, I think it's great to see people getting out there, uh, feeling like they, they can go do more things. Uh, it's going to be a little bit like real estate, right? Location, location, location. It's a little bit different where you are in the country, and so some places people might feel safer than others, uh, but generally speaking, um, it, it's nice to see and hopefully uh, we'll we'll see more of that in the new year. You mentioned
0: uh, intellectual property, and I think the, the smaller headlines out of this story are with Sony and Disney, and in the partnership that they have around this franchise, but also just Um, Sony getting a win. Um, And uh, Disney, look, this is one of those things that isn't really tangible and yet uh, there's a tendency to think, well, this doesn't matter, but it kind of does um, in the sense that every company is trying to tell a story about itself. And when the media narrative, fairly or unfairly, is different than the story the company is trying to tell, uh, you know, then they have to spend time and energy and resources on that. And I think in the case of Disney, there was a, a narrative going for at least a month or so of, boy, they they really seem like they have hit the wall in terms of the content, in ter- certainly in terms of the tangible growth to Disney Plus subscribers, that sort of thing. Again, this is maybe a short-term thing. but. Uh, A win like this, um, you got to be happy if you're Disney to be able to tell this
1: story. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, I I think you're right. I think over the last several months, we've seen that that narrative with Disney play out. That they are. I mean, they're undergoing a, a monumental leadership change. Uh, with that comes all sorts of potential strategy changes uh, opportunities to focus on other parts of the business that maybe weren't necessarily getting uh, their due attention before so there are a lot of unknowns that come with this big leadership change in disney and exactly where this company goes over the course of the next five and ten years uh, but but it's it's it, that IP is always going to be such a tremendous asset, and and it's always going to be something that they need to continue to capitalize on, which which I suspect they will, and and then um and then it really just is a matter of of distribution and and where we are as a society, how people are getting that content. And I think the nice thing, you know, as a consumer today, I mean, you just have a million different ways you can really get that content. And I, I we saw recently here with with Disney and YouTube TV, right? I mean, there was there was that. Little struggle there on the negotiation. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I saw a lot of folks uh, on Twitter and, and, and whatnot really griping about the fact that they weren't getting that content as YouTube TV subscribers. It just goes to show you the bargaining power that, that Disney has in that position. It's not something to discount.
0: Uh, Two things, real quick, before I let you go. First, um, you mentioned the leadership change. I was reminded of that this morning when I saw on Twitter uh, Bob Iger is doing uh, some sort of a sit-down interview um, because he uh, comes off the board. I saw um, that at the end of this year, and for the first time, I thought to myself, "Is he going to do something else?" (laughs) So I'm, I'm I'm wondering what. Like, do you have any expectations that Bob Iger? is going to do anything else in the entertainment business space, because if he does in the entertainment business space, it will almost certainly be at least partially interpreted as a shot at his former company and the current CEO.
1: I mean, there's no way it could be construed otherwise, I would imagine. Um, I, you know, I saw that, and the first thing I thought of, uh, honestly, I mean, probably the second thing I thought of was what you were saying, but the first thing that came to my mind was like, this is the longest goodbye I have <laughs> ever seen. <laughs> I mean, we've been talking about this for like seven years, I think, right? He was going to yeah. retire, then he signed on for two more years, then he signed off for another year, and now he's finally getting ready to fully, fully part ways and I mean that that that's probably to Disney's demise in the near term. I mean you cannot understate. I mean you cannot overstate um, um, the impact that he's had on that business and and what he's done to put Disney in the position that it's in today. Um, Mr. Chapek certainly has some some big shoes to fill. I I personally feel like uh, Mr. Iger's in a position. It sounds to me like he would rather do something. A little bit more impactful for society. So whether that is pursuing something in the political realm or whether it's something focused a bit more on philanthropic efforts, I'm not sure it It wouldn't surprise me to see him go one way or the other there with that, or perhaps some kind of a combination uh, of of both. But yeah, I, I would be surprised if if he decided to jump back in and try to do something. Um, in the media space, building something back up, but you know, by the same token, I'm sure there are a lot of folks in that space that are thinking, "Hey, man, it wouldn't be such a bad idea to get, you know, either on our board or in the executive suite for uh, our business." So, so maybe that maybe there's some folks out there trying to uh, entice him to stick around.
0: This is not the last episode of Market Foolery before Christmas, um, but we are going to be off tomorrow. Um, this is something you and I were talking about earlier uh, today, just sort of in part because uh, this has been um, a roller coaster ride for investors over the last couple of months. Um, wh- what do you do to sort of unplug as an investor over the holidays? Because I, I feel like uh, I'll just speak for myself. I know um, recharging my batteries as an investor is going to help me have a better start to 2022.
1: Yeah, you definitely have to do that. I mean, thankfully for us, <laughs> the market tempers it a little bit with holiday closures, right? I mean, the market will be closed on Friday and then I think next week there's another day that is closed. So, I think that's that's part of it. There is just you just you don't pay attention to it because it's not as active and it's not open as as long. Um though I understand they they're talking about 24/7 exchanges here very soon. So, we might not have that luxury anymore, but I I think for me Honestly, I think it's just having other outlets, having other things that you enjoy doing. I mean, I, 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 I do some yard work around the house. I mean, I got out there on on Saturday and I, I just I did a yard, I did a bunch of yard work, planted some trees. Um, I, you know that I, I paint, so sometimes when I'm feeling like I want to go just get my mind unplugged to go do something else, I mean, I'll just go downstairs and paint for a bit. Um, but that that's it. I think the key is really just having other interests. And sometimes it's easy to unplug from those interests in in times like these when every day it's new headlines and things going on and we have services that we're running and members that we want to take care of and things that we need to deliver. Um, for us, naturally, it slows down a little bit at this time of year, which is nice, that that gives you the opportunity to unplug a little bit. and, and just. Become reacquainted with some of those passions that maybe you've developed throughout your life.
0: When you're painting, do you do you have music on? Like what what is the scene? I'm I'm not imagining you're like Picasso. You got you know, or is it Picasso who had like a cigar and champagne while he was painting? Uh, Clearly, my knowledge of art history is tiny. But uh, there was some famous painter who was just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna paint, but I've also got a cigar going and I've got a bottle of wine open.
1: I'd be very, I'd be very down with a cigar and and wine or champagne. I guess in my case it would be beer. Um, My wife would have my head if I lit a cigar in the house, though. So I I just, I can't get away with that one. Um, Sometimes I'll listen to music. uh, Other times I just enjoy the silence. Uh, It it just kind of helps me think. Um, There's no real standard there. It just kind of depends. Most of the time. Uh, it's, it's no music, just kind of keeping quiet and, and, and uh, to the thoughts in my head and, and making sure that I can actually hear when someone else in the house is uh, yelling at me to go do something.
0: <laughs> Jason Bozer, <laughs> always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later in the week.
2: Looks like a cold, cold winter Plenty of ice and snow But we'll keep the love light In our hearts aglow Looks like a long, long winter by a cozy fire